How's everybody doing? Great. Good? Awesome. Good. So when I was a freshman in Bible college, my freshman year, I took an introductory course in philosophy. And I ended up really loving philosophy. I enjoyed the conversations, the discussions. And as we learned about history's most famous philosophers and their theories ranging from classical, modern, and postmodern, and different systems of thought and belief, I found myself starting to wrestle with very hard questions and then some scary doubts. Uh, I experienced some confusion about what was fact and what was fiction and, and how we came to hold certain Christian beliefs and doctrines. And, and as a person at this point in my life, I, I decided to go to Bible college. I, I decided to dedicate my entire life right, to teaching the Bible. Uh, preaching the gospel and making disciples of Jesus as I'm building my whole life, right? Uh, my, my family, my marriage, my career, my finances upon the truths revealed in scripture uh, when these different philosophies started to kind of corrode at my faith and, and, and arouse questions and doubts in my heart. I started to feel this anxiety and this fear, asking myself, is this all real. This is all real. Um, and, and that's a terrifying place for any Christian to be, let alone a person who's pursuing pastoral ministry. Like part of my job qualification is to believe the Bible, to believe God, to believe the gospel. And yet I'm having doubts and I'm questioning and I'm struggling. Uh, and uh, so I was ashamed I really didn't want people to know that I was having these problems. I didn't want them to know that I was doubting God uh, because I didn't want them to think less of me. Now, in the end, God not only carried me through that season, but, but what he did is he let that season act as like a furnace that, that refined and strengthened and fortified my convictions about the Bible, about God, about the world, about myself. Um, and I bring up my story in that time of my life that was an intense time of wrestling and struggling about what I really believed because I believe you too are going to have moments or seasons of doubts. There are going to be times in your life where you probably will ask yourself hard questions about God, His existence, Jesus, and the like. And, and so tonight, uh, our goal in is to look at a moment of doubt in the life of one of God's greatest prophets, John the Baptist. And I want to look at his life in the moment of doubt he experienced, both for encouragement, to encourage us, and to instruct us how to deal with those times of doubt that are going to come into our lives. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, read our passage, pray, and dig in. Uh, I'll read it. You follow along. Get the papers out in front of you. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And, and Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. 
and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask now, you, you know, Father, the doubts in our hearts, in our minds. You know the questions we have. You know the weak points in our faith. And so, Father, I pray that you would let this word encourage us. I pray this word would strengthen us. I pray this word would assure us of who you are. So, Father, right now I pray, grant us spiritual wisdom. By your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, verses 2 and 3, they, they kind of provide the overall context uh, of our passage. That is, what's the occasion? What, what's going on in this situation that brought about this exchange between Jesus and John? What led up to it? Uh, so let's look there uh, together to orient ourselves to the situation. Matthew writes, verse 2, starting there, Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Let's just pause there. Uh, Here's what we know so far. John the Baptist is in prison. He heard in prison. Um, and when we learn the backstory of how he landed up there later in chapter 14, um, and, and in summary, basically John was publicly condemning and calling out uh, Herod. And uh, the Roman ruler over the region at that time, he was kind of like a king over that area. And John the Baptist is calling out Herod for uh, divorcing his rightful wife and then marrying his brother's wife. And so it's some family drama going on and John is calling him out. But what we need to take away from this background is that John was imprisoned. That's what matters most. Uh, not because he did anything wrong, but because he was standing up from the truth. He was unjustly arrested and locked up. Um, and while he's in prison, right, it says that John's, he's hearing, he's getting these reports. He's hearing about all the deeds of the Christ. That is, somehow news has traveled to him over and over again about the amazing stuff that's going on. Because some unbelievable events have taken place. And we're told that after hearing these amazing reports, it says John sent word by his disciples to ask Jesus a question. He's in prison. He gets these reports. Jesus is doing amazing things. And then he sends a question back to Jesus. And verse three is the question. Look there with me. Here's the question. Are you, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, when John asked Jesus, are you the one? 
right? When he asks that question, it, it, it's loaded. It's full of significance. He, he's saying, when he says, are you the one? He's saying, are you the Messiah? That is, are you the savior of God's people? Are you the fulfillment of all of the prophecies and promises of God spoken long ago? In other words, are you the one promised to be born in the small, insignificant town of Bethlehem, Micah 5? Are you that one? Are you the one to be born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 7? Are you the one who will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53? Are you the one who will not be abandoned to death, but risen from the dead, Psalm 16? Are you the King of kings and Lord of lords who's going to sit on David's throne and reign over heaven and earth forever? Are you the one they call mighty God and Prince of Peace? Are you the one to come? Are you that one? The one who's going to fulfill all of the prophecies in God's word. Are you that one? Or shall we look for someone else? That's his question. And what makes this question so shocking is that this is the same John. Know this. He's the same John that baptized Jesus. The same John who he saw God the Holy Spirit descend from heaven upon the Son of God Jesus and rest. The same John who heard the father's voice say, this is my son. The same John who proclaimed to others after the baptism of Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The same John who said, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. And yet we see here that he sent his disciples to ask the question, are you the one? Are you the one? So, so from chapter 3 at the baptism to chapter 11, John goes from confidently proclaiming Jesus, he's the son of God, to a place of dark uncertainty and doubt. And so we, we have to ask, what happened? What happened to John? What drove the John the Baptist, this prophet who was sent by God to this moment of doubt? Why is he second guessing everything? Well, we're, we're not explicitly told in this passage, uh, but I think we can see at least two reasons for John's doubt. For one, John's in prison. Um, and from what we know of history, he's been there a while. John's probably been in prison over a year while, you know, while Jesus is out doing ministry. And as we find out later in chapter 14, John's not getting out of jail. That's not how his story ends. Rather, he's going to get his head chopped off and literally served on a platter to the daughter of Herod's wife. He's going to die a bloody, gruesome death. That's John's destiny. And so at this point, after spending a year in jail, suffering mistreatment, loneliness, exhaustion, he's receiving all these reports of all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. And it makes sense why he's starting to wonder then, wait, 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 if Jesus is really the one, if, if he's really God's promised Messiah, why am I still in jail? If he has that kind of power, if he's the king of kings, why am I still here? Maybe he's not the one. And so we can say with confidence that, that John's difficult 
and hard circumstances, it, it probably led to generate some doubt and questions concerning Jesus. And, and I say the same is true for us. Whenever we find ourselves in hard and discouraging and dark places, often our natural response is to doubt God. We either doubt his very existence. Is he even real? Or, or, or maybe we, we doubt his love and his plan for us. Does he even care? We feel or we say to ourselves, well, if God really existed, he wouldn't have let my friend or family member die. Well, if God really loved me, he would have given me a better mom or a better dad. If God really had a good plan for my life, he wouldn't have let me get injured during my sports season. So we see from, from John's life and our own lives that hard circumstances, difficult places, trying times, suffering can lead us to doubt God. But we also see another factor that, that probably drove John to be confused about Jesus. And that is, Jesus didn't meet John's immediate expectations. He didn't meet John's expectations. That is, uh, see, we have to remember that God told John as his prophet, right? This is the message he gave to John. Go out to the wilderness and warn the people to repent and be baptized. Why? The wrath of God was coming through the Messiah. Back in chapter 3, verse 12, John was saying stuff about the Messiah like his winnowing fork. He's using like a, a agrarian farming imagery. His winnowing fork, the Messiah's winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, John is warning the people. The message he received from God is, listen, the Messiah is coming. This is urgent. The Messiah is coming. And soon he's going to separate the repentant from the unrepentant. Some will be gathered to himself and others are going to be thrown in hell. That's the heart of John's message. Wrath is coming through the Messiah. So, so when John hears the reports of Jesus out there healing people, casting out demons, forgiving sins, extending mercy, he's probably like, where's the fire? <laughs> where's the justice? Where's the holy righteousness of God against sin? Where's that? I'm in prison under an evil ruler. What is going on? And so Jesus didn't meet John's immediate expectations. See, because Jesus is going to, he's not going to come back as a humble, uh, lowly servant. He's going to come back as a king full of glory and power, pouring out the wrath of Almighty God. He's going to fulfill John's prophecy. Just not yet. Not in John's timing. He came to die for sins first. And so, so doubts are arising in the heart of John, uh, both from hard circumstances and failed expectations of Jesus. And I think the question we could ask ourselves is, has that ever happened to us? Has that ever happened to, to you? Has Jesus ever just failed to meet your expectations? 
Maybe like John in chapter 3, right? You've experienced a great spiritual high before. Uh, districts, mission trip, church camp, uh, some type of activity that just, man, you felt absolutely like on fire for following Jesus. You're like, man, this is going to change my life forever. I'm going to follow him forever. My life's going to be better with Jesus. But when you got back home, your prayers felt dry. Bible reading was boring and the temptations felt stronger than ever. And you felt discouraged, disappointed, filled with all sorts of questions and doubt. If Jesus is real, where's the fire? Where's the fire in my life? And so like John, when, when Jesus doesn't fit our expectations, when he doesn't do everything we think he should do, we likely are likely to second guess what we originally believed with great confidence and with great joy. And so, so I think an important question we can ask ourselves is, are our expectations of Jesus shaped more by what we want, our desires, than who Jesus promises to be and do for us in this life. So where are we getting our expectations on Jesus is the question we need to ask ourselves in moments of doubt. So, so John sends that question. He sends that question. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And in that question, he exposes his state of doubt and confusion to Jesus. When John, when Jesus received that question, he knows John is in a state of doubt. And how does Jesus respond? Does he shame and condemn John? Does he say, John, for these doubts, I'm done with you. You're pathetic. You're worthless. Nope. No, instead, Jesus graciously assures John. Look at verses four and five. It says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus says, tell John, I'm that guy. I'm, I am the one. Tell John to, to reconsider, to reevaluate, to open up his eyes, his ears to all that I am doing. Look at all the evidence. Remind him how I'm healing and preaching and raising the dead. Assure him, I'm the one. And since John knows the Older Testament, since John knows the prophecies concerning God's Messiah, he would have immediately heard Jesus's response um, and knew it was directly linked to passages we find like Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. This is in the cross-reference section. And this verse foretells a day when, quote, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Passages like Isaiah 61, one that prophesy about the coming Messiah saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Talking about the Messiah because the Lord has anointed me to do what? 
to bring good news to the poor. And so we see that Jesus doesn't condemn or shame John for his doubts, and neither then will he shame or condemn us. Instead, like he does for John, he assures us and he says, listen, listen, open up your eyes. Look at all the work I'm doing in this world. Look at how the gospel is transforming lives. Look how I've cared for you. Look how I've watched over you. Look how I've blessed you. Look at all the evidence for me. I'm the one. Look how I died for you and raised from the dead to save you. Jesus says, I am the one who is to come rest your weary and doubtful hearts. And not only does Jesus kindly and just graciously offer John assurance, but he goes even further. He does more than that. Not only does he assure John, he honors him. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me. It says, as they went away, so they're about to bring uh, Jesus' words back to John. As they went away, Jesus begins to speak to the crowds concerning John. He says, what crowds, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? In other words, why have you uh, been leaving the comforts of your home and city to travel out to the hot, barren desert, the place where no one wants to go? Why are you going out there? Why did you go? A re to see a, a reed shaken by the wind? Did, did you go to see dead vegetation? No. What, what then did you go out to see? Uh, a man dressed in soft clothing? Not John. I mean, this guy was wearing camel's hair and eating locust bugs with honey. Jesus says, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see, Jesus says? A prophet? Yes, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. And then in verse 10, Jesus explains what he means. What does he mean by John's more than a prophet? Put another way, how does John the Baptist exceed the importance of all the other prophets who came before him? That's the question. And the answer, uh, to answer that question, Jesus points us to the prophecy spoken by the Lord in Malachi 3.1. Jesus says, this is he. Verse 10, this is he of whom it is written. In other words, Jesus says, John the Baptist is the one who fulfills this prophecy. Here it is. Behold, I, God Yahweh, send my messenger, John the Baptist, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So according to Jesus then, John was appointed by God hundreds of years prior to prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That means John had the, the special, unique, extraordinary calling to introduce the one who would consummate all of history and all of time, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He had the opportunity to introduce him to the world. While other prophets spoke Right? They talked about Jesus, the one who was to come. John seen, touched, smelled the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. His role was of the highest, most glorified and honorable role as a, as a prophet leading up to Jesus. Hence, look at what Jesus says in verse 11. That's, this is his conclusion. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater, no one greater than John the Baptist. 
And yet John doubted too. In the midst of his weakest moment, in the midst when he's doubting Jesus as the Messiah after he's already declared him to be, God does not shame him. Jesus does not condemn him. He honors him. He assures him. Doesn't put him down. He doesn't look at him with disgust or disapproval. And, and, and that's the gospel. That, that's the gospel. While we have doubted and we turned our back on God over and over again, although we are deserving of nothing but shame, of nothing but punishment, of nothing but disgrace, that's all we deserve. God in heaven loved us that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place, the Messiah, to bear our shame and our guilt and all that we deserve to set us free. To set us free so that one day, we will share in his honor and his glory forever. And we see a picture of that here with John. He comes with doubts and Jesus responds with assurance and commendation, honor. So brothers and sisters, when our circumstances are hard, when Jesus just isn't meeting our expectations, when he's just not getting done what we thought he would get done, we don't have to fear our doubts and questions. We don't have to hide and keep them a secret and don't tell anybody about them because we're not alone. We're not alone. Even the great John the Baptist doubted. And guess what? So did Moses. Uh, so did Gideon and Elijah and Jeremiah. We're not the first. And like those before, Jesus stands ready, uh, hands out, heart open, ready to assure us, ready to vindicate his existence and his reality to us over and over again to hold us up. God, by his mercy through his son, he chooses to bless us and honor us in our most weakest moments. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my God, my sovereign God, the one who has given us the Messiah, the one who loves us, cares about us more than anybody in this planet, the one who will never forsake us, the one who is loyal and committed to the bloody end, the one who bore our curse and our shame in his son, Father, we love you. And I just pray, Father, that, that when we have these doubts and we have these questions that we wouldn't hide them, we would bring them to you and to your son. And by the Spirit, you would assure us, you would comfort us, you would help us stay faithful in the midst of those dark times. Father, lead us. And I pray in our small groups now, Father, please lead them to share their doubts, to bear each other's burdens, to, to know that they're not the only ones. So, Father, I pray there be a special time, anointed time in the small groups to deal with such things. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.